Hello and welcome to episode two of the Football Scouting Journey podcast. My name's David Lynch. So in this episode, uh, once my CRB had come through, uh, once I'd completed the various different inductions and CPD events with the club, um, I'm just going to now talk a little bit about my kind of what I got up to in my first year. So initially, uh, I made contact with um, John Brown. Uh, he was the, the club's first team and academy scout up here in the northeast, and uh, made contact with John. Had a good chat with him on the phone and uh, arranged to meet up with our first game. So our first game was actually uh, first team game. It was actually Sunderland versus Gillingham. And so, obviously, being a, a big Sunderland fan, that was quite quite a nice one for me to start with to get me to get me going. And I'd say over the next, well, from from February really all the way through to to the end of the year, um, I shadowed John a lot. Um, first team games under twenty three, academy eighteen, academy sixteens, and some academy fourteen games. And um, you know John. John's a great guy. His knowledge is exceptional. Um, when you're talking about players, especially players around the northeast, there's not many players that come up in conversation that John doesn't know and can't kind of reel off loads of stats and information. Really is really is a sort of top guy and very very knowledgeable. Um, so obviously a great opportunity for me to be able to go out with such a guy and, and be able to learn from him and. Um, have him to you know as my mentor um so you know the the first the first sort of three to six months were really just trying to find me feet um and and learn as much as i as i could from from john um i, I remember one particular game was quite special for me it was um uh, john had actually done i think three or four games already in one week and the um there was a game coming up which was the under-18s Premier League Cup final uh, between Middlesbrough and Man City um, and John just said look do you want to do this one on your own which was uh, I must admit was a bit bit nerve-wracking um, especially because it was the environment that it was in um, I kind of turned up and um, my ticket sort of said you know director suite so I ended up going in the director suite having a mail um, just chatting to, to anybody I could really um, end up going up to the director's box and it was just a bit like overwhelming really that uh, I'd found myself uh, doing this you know in such a short period of time uh, but absolutely loved it loved the experience and it was I don't know it was John John's way of sort of you know saying you know well done you've you've worked hard um he's a nice game to go to um but anyway it was it was a good game uh, Man City Man City won and um I just kind of my task was really just to kind of do me top 3 um players and and try and try and write a report which I'd had a go previously um but I hadn't done much report writing um so remember there was uh three players in particular that stood out for me it was remember there's adrian burnaby from or adrian burnaby from man city tommy doyle i believe both now have had um first team opportunities this season which was nice to see um and uh a defender from borough nathan wood um all three kind of impressed so off i went after the game and, and wrote me kind of first report which which John pulled a bit, <laughs> obviously. Uh, you know, the feedback there was there wasn't enough detail, um, and give us some real good sort of uh, feedback that I could take in, into my next one. But that that experience for me was was really really good, and uh, yeah. So yeah, so my my time really just it was maybe two, sometimes three, sometimes only one games a week, and just just going out with John and, and learn as much as I could. Um, so aside of going out and watching the games, um, I wanted to uh, do my talent ID level two um, with the FA. Um, done my FA level one, which obviously is just a an online course. Um, and so what I decided to do is I decided to try and find um, a venue uh, as close as possible as I could to Blackburn. Um, 
And so I managed to find there was one, well, the closest one basically was in Cheshire, which um, was about an hour and 20 minutes from Blackburn training ground. And my thought process there was, um, because I'm I'm going to be away from home, um, what I would really like to do is try to get into the club and and um, and just just try and uh, see what the levels are within the club, um, the different age groups, different categories, and uh, so basically, yeah, I um, I booked on the Talent ID Level Two in Cheshire, and. And yeah, so I, I spent a full week. Um, although the the course was only three days, um, I took an extra couple of days, and I and I managed to spend a week um, going, well, driving to Cheshire, staying over in Cheshire for the for the next morning. But each night, each night after the course was finished, I'd drive up to the club and watch a different age group train. Um, so I pretty much seen I seen three, four or five age groups within that week, um, and it was you know it was good for me just to just to see um, uh, you know familiarise myself with again the standards of a Cat One Elite club, um, really understand what players are actually in the building, and I think for, for the third one for me was to meet meet coaches, uh, meet meet people, meet staff. So I end up sort of chatting on to coaches, physios, um, and getting to know people. Um, so that that was that was obviously it was a big time investment for myself because I spent a week away from home. But I think looking back, it was definitely worth doing that, and uh, it did give us a bit of a, a foundation as to understand when I, you know, because I was watching the games obviously. With John, I got to see what we had in in the club, and uh, and and I think things. I'm I'm a firm believer that you, you sort of put the time and effort in, and things always pay off. And I might it might only be a little thing, but I remember um, three or four months later, um, I was watching a, a academy game, which was was actually was Blackburn away at uh, Newcastle, and because I recognised the staff, I was able to go over have a chat with them. Uh, got got the team sheet, um, which which you don't always get at the younger age groups. So I think just just that in itself, you know, for me was was worth worthwhile doing. Um, so yeah, I ended up doing that. The course was excellent with the FA. The tutors were brilliant. Um, there's a few I actually still keep in contact with now, um, but don't know where you know most most some people have done the talent ID level two. Some people have not done it yet. Some people will be on. Obviously, listen to this. Will be on at level three, four, but uh, level two is very much about the key principles. Uh, it was about recognising potential. Um, it was a really good section on um, performance versus potential. Um, it was an area on relationships, which which I do. I'm a firm believer in, um, in terms of you know building your network. Um, and I think the other one was uh, ethics and values and governance. That's the, you know, the important side of it. But kind of, um, really kind of understanding what the do's and, and don'ts are. So that was an excellent grounding. And uh, as well as as well as that, I met some really good people on the course that I still keep in touch with now on social media. Um, so yeah, Talent ID Level 2, definitely worth doing and um, I've actually got my name down now uh, on the on the waiting list for Level 3, which is, I think it's, I believe it's a lot more in-depth, I think it's over, a, I think it's over the course of the year and I think it's around about £1,500 to do. So I've got my name down for that because I'm really keen to, to push on and, and develop further with that. Um, so yeah, um, as time went on, watched more games, got a little bit better at writing reports towards the end of the year, especially. Um, I um, I reached out to some of the northeast clubs and um, managed to set some meetings up um, with the sort of head of recruitment within the northeast clubs. There were, you know, a couple especially were very good in giving me some time, um, which was. Um, 
which was great you know about again developing relationships i got some really good advice from from these people and you know the even though i was working for in theory a competitive club but they were, they were, they were wanting to you know they, they were wanting to see somebody um who's who's fairly new to the game uh come in and, and do well and, and you know we talked about different ways of working and you know it, it was really really beneficial so can't thank them people enough for giving up their time um so yeah I, I was kind of about out and about a lot as you can imagine um i remember um i, I seem to watch a lot of uh middlesbrough under 18s which i was really impressed with they had a wave fixture to blackburn and i really wanted to see our 18s in, in in action against them to see how we compared so I drove down to Blackburn. Um, again, it's like that's a two and a half hour journey, but it's it's something I really want to do, and it's something I got a lot out of as well. Um, and for, yeah, for me, it was just pushing on. How how could I kind of push on further, and and really started to sort of uh, progress myself. Um, so I'm very much into CPD. Um, I did a couple of events with the East Riding FA um on on you know different aspects of of either talent id or linked recruitment and uh, linked coaching um we've done a couple of events at our own club and uh and i also did um one of them that stands out was the national goalkeepers conference in april um peter schmeichel was was talking as one of the guest speakers um that that was great and obviously goalkeepers Again, with my son playing in goal, um, it's an area I'm really, really interested in. So it, it's possibly an area I would like to specialise in in the future. Um, but, you know, the, the, it was an excellent event down at St George's Park. Um, one of the one of the one of my favourite um, workshops was the Modern Trends workshop, which looked at the profiles of goalkeepers in, in more detail. And there was a discussion around you know the height of keepers which is always a interesting debate um but it, it was interesting to see um the, the different aspects of that um you know there was a study on the on shots on goal and uh, i remember it was like it was seen in 2015 most of the shots on goal from around the 6 yard box whereas uh, jump forward a couple of years in the 18 19 and more shots were coming a bit further back from the from the, the penalty spot uh, that did like a 12 weeks uh, analysis on the first 12 weeks of the premiership and I think 37% of the goals came from crosses um, of them that 37% within that 86% of that were first time finishes um, and, and basically we're, we're talking about how there's a lot more people in the box now so maybe it's considering you know at one point it was a there was somebody down the wing, there was a cross going in the middle and there was a big reliance on the keeper coming and taking that cross where maybe now is, is the game's changing. Um, you know, we're looking at um, how we can set, maybe how we can set up the, the goalkeeper training to, to you know, in, incorporate more obstacles. Um, I think there's, um, you know, I think it was 80, of that study, I think it was 84% uh of the goals where there's five or more defenders and three or more attackers in the box um so it was good to look at the, the types of shots that were coming in the types of crosses um and it starts to get you thinking about what the main attributes of the keeper should be um so again that was an excellent uh cpd event i'm probably going to try and boot onto the goalkeepers conference again this year and again like you say it's just it'll help me with with me on uh, area of interest but I think there's a lot of things um, that I can take from it from a, a recruitment point of view um, so yeah so I guess um, where I'm at now um, you know I spent the last two months of the year really uh, doing a lot of academy games 18s, 16s, 14s um, start, you know I've built up my own database i remember when i first started somebody said you know you really need to know all the players in your area at the different age groups so i've managed to build my own database of players and i'm getting there in terms of knowing you know the main clubs in the northeast are obviously 
Sunderland, Newcastle, Middlesbrough, and I'm starting to do well. I'm starting to build, build up a big, a good portfolio of players, um, and and that's that's pretty much where I am. Um, we're talking like a year in to coming in, knowing nothing about recruitment, and you know I've picked up. I would like to think I've picked up a lot in my first year, and 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 a lot of that, you know, a lot of that. Um, comes down to the, the people that have been around and um, obviously mentioned John John Brown at the start of this uh, podcast he's, he's been excellent and there's been other people and I've been really taken back and um, I guess surprised as well how helpful other scouts have been on the on, on you know on the circuit if you like uh, meet, I've, I've made a good um, there's a group of scouts I generally see at most games so good good networking with them got to know them getting advice from them um, so yeah so I guess what's next for me um, I'd like to try and start on opposition analysis I've never done I've not done any of that as of yet uh, I'd really like to try and understand that and at least just start learning that side of, of, of the game and um, that side of the role if you like I'm keen to try and do a little bit on analytics. Um, you know, understand the softwares that's on the market. Um, want to take a look at that, and I'm also booked on me FA coaching level two. Like I say, you might have heard in the first podcast that I'd, I'd done a little bit of coaching, but mainly with just grassroots and not a lot to be honest. So I wanna, I wanna really try and go through if I can try and go and. Uh, take on my coaching badges um and and that that'll ultimately you know my my ambition if you like or my goal is is to to go as far as i can within football recruitment um obviously i've got the business background the commercial background uh that i think that'll help us a lot but i've obviously got to keep on with me experience me learning scouting and if i'm doing my coaching badges as well and maybe take on a bit of a coaching role somewhere. I think them three um, ingredients uh, are going to stand as well in the future. And uh, yeah, obviously look forward to seeing where this this can take us. Um, so that that's that's myself really, and and I want to continue doing this. I want to take. Uh, I've, I've I've been inundated and over the moon with the amount of people that have contacted us, saying they'd like to get involved. So. I think my next steps with the podcast is to is to maybe interview uh, more experienced people and, uh, and and talk to them and 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 really try and build this because I think there's I think there's something um, in in the the football scouting journey podcast and how it can be developed and it's something I'm I'm really interested and passionate about so I want to develop further. So there you go. That is episode two in the football scouting journey. Uh, my name is David Lynch and I look forward to speaking and collaborating with you all soon. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the third edition of the Football Scouting Journey podcast. I'm your host David Lynch and I'm delighted to have in the studio ex-professional goalkeeper and founder of Premier Player Football Academy, Andrew Collett. Today we're going to talk all things goalkeeping and link that back wherever we can to talent ID. So with no further to do, I'd like to introduce Andy. How are you doing Andy? I'm very well, thank you David. Yeah, uh, delighted to be asked uh, onto the podcast and hopefully we'll put a you know, bit of information across that people aren't aware of and give a bit more insight into uh, obviously goalkeeping, talent ID, etc. Great stuff. Right, uh, I mean, good place to always start on these things is just to tell us a little bit about your, your career, Andy, you know, what, what you've done in the game and um, what you're doing now. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I was a young... I got time for Middlesbrough when I was 13. Um, came through, the obviously, the youth system at Middlesbrough. Managed to make a couple of appearances in the very first season of the Premier League when I was uh, 19. Um, then the big money came in, Brian Robson. Well, Brian Robson had been there a year. So I moved on from there to uh, Bristol Rovers. I had four or five years down there. Um, enjoyed that. Ian Holloway came in. I had different thoughts on goalkeeping, so I was moved on. 
uh, and then came up to Darlington, uh, stayed at Darlington for again probably four or five years until um, retiring with a shoulder injury when I was 29. Um, so was playing one day and literally uh, snapped my shoulder, finished the next and then uh, then I've gone into the coaching. So I took up coaching, I started at Darlington, uh, I was at Darlington again for several years, then moved to Oldham with Dave Penny, had a season at Oldham, I came back, Hartlepool, a um, couple of years there, went to Gateshead, York, um, back to York and then back to York again and I'm currently first team goalkeeper coach um, at York City. Great stuff, great stuff. And you, you also run your own private uh, academy, don't you, locally? Yeah, we do. Uh, so when I uh, when I actually uh, was well, basically sacked by when I was at Oldham, um, you know, you come out of football and you think, what do I do now? And as a lot of us do, um, we started a football coaching academy. Um, and luckily, uh, that was probably eight years ago now, that's gone from strength to strength. Um, we sort of tried to concentrate on um, providing high quality coaching so most of my lads have been professionals and they're all highly qualified and yeah and luckily we've got uh, seven or eight academies around the northeast now and coaching from three to three to 18 really because I also work at Middlesbrough College delivering um, we deliver an elite, an elite football academy within the college system so uh, yeah it's um, keep me busy great stuff so you're obviously involved at uh, all different levels of coaching now, you know, from adults at York City through your own, uh, I would say, under sixes, under sevens with Premier Player. So, I mean, it's, I know it's a difficult thing to do just to condense down, but what would you say is your coaching philosophy, Andy? How, how would you kind of describe that? Um, I think my coaching philosophy is basically... Um, to try and encourage anyone that we coach because we coach goalkeepers and outfielders to come down and just to to coach positively and to help give them a bit of guidance and um, but lots and lots of positive encouragement you know regardless of the ability I think one of the biggest problems that I have seen uh, in junior football is there's lots of negativity mainly come from the sidelines um so we are the total opposite. You know, I didn't like that when I was a kid when people were shouting at me. I didn't like it when I was an adult. So that's one of the things that we try to focus on is uh, just to um, coach positive um, and try and help every player regardless of the ability to improve. Great stuff. Yeah, so I mean, coaching, getting into the coaching first, I, I suppose, coaching a little seven-year-old and coaching a... You know, a 23, 24-year-old keeper at York. Um, how, how, what would you say are the sort of components that you need to focus on at the different levels? How, how can you, how do you adapt your coaching style to to whoever you deal, to whoever you're working with? Well, I think, I think the, the the sign of a good coach is that he will set the session up. Um, based on basically the, the, the people that are taking part within the session, you know, so obviously I can't do the same session for a 23-year-old as I do for a 7-year-old, so I've got to change it. So I think first, firstly, that's the sign of the coach. And obviously you just focus on the different needs. So in a 7-year-old, we're like lots and lots of fun and disguise learning in a way, but obviously you're focusing on the basics of just catching the ball, hand-eye coordination, etc. With the 23-year-olds, you're still wanting to coach them. You, you know, there's obviously they've got a, hopefully a long career in the game, but you're probably talking a lot more match specifics, um, just keeping on top of the technique, as well as improving the technique. But obviously a 23-year-old, you would like to think that they've, they've got a reasonable technique. Um, and you're just sort of not you're sort of just brushing up on it, but also you're picking things out of games. So if they play a game on a weekend, you'll then go into the session maybe the Monday or the Tuesday and try and drop back onto right this happened in the game at the weekend, we're still learning. How could we have dealt with it differently? Could we have done it better? Um that type of thing really. So you just you set your session up depending on the ability and the age group that you're working with. Yeah. Great. And is there any um, oh, I wouldn't say a preference because I know you coach all different uh, ages, but have you got a, a particular um, age group that you you like working with the best, or any, are you, or maybe it's a, an age group you find the most challenging because of your your kind of background? <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, 
the little ones. I love the little ones. And I, you know, to be fair, I work as an outfield coach a lot with the little ones. I absolutely love them because you can have lots of fun. But they are probably the most challenging in terms of behaviour, in terms of keeping controlled and also keeping them stimulated. But yeah, I, I don't. I wouldn't say I have any particular. Because I get the same buzz if an under seven makes a great save and he gets up with his chest pumped out and he loves it as I do with the first team goalkeeper at York on a weekend I think if you've got that enthusiasm inside you it doesn't really matter what age group yeah and I guess um, just touching on sort of working with um, pro keepers if you like um, I know you were kind of lucky enough to to work with uh, Nick Pope who's at Burnley in England um, and other other sort of uh, keepers that have gone on to do well in the game but in terms of professional keepers um, do you find that they generally come to you and their their techniques are already developed their kind of pattern C- can you change it do you try and change it so what 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 would you say working with poor keepers is a, is, a, is the biggest difference I think with pro keepers again I think it does depend on the age Um for instance, at York City this year, we have signed Pete Jameson, who's 26 year old, and um, been in this in the division for several years. Probably one of the best goalkeepers in the division. And with someone like Pete, he's 26. You know, you're not going to change the way he sets. You're not going to change a lot of the things about his game. Um, but you'll just try and give him little bits of information. You can improve things like starting position, little tips here and there that you can you can change. But I don't. I don't think you can improve, not improve, I don't think you can change his, probably his, his core technique too much. Like I said, Pete Pete stands with his hands quite low, sort of Jordan Pickford style. And there's no point in me saying, Pete, try and put your hands out in front of you, you know, uh, in a holding your handcuff type position, because you won't do it. And you'll spend more time as a coach, probably getting frustrated, trying to get him to do that. And ultimately, probably in a game, he probably, he would go, he would go back to his normal natural sort of um, stance anyway because muscle memory will dictate he does that it's like asking someone to walk differently I know other coaches have different opinions on this I personally don't I think that once your sort of your technique your base technique is formed there's not too much that you can that you can change with it I think it's more like I said start positions in games maybe dealing uh, things like goal kicks you can improve striking of the ball technique things like that um, but his core technique I think you know you're really just keeping on top of that and trying to improve what he's already got and the way he's already set up yeah and I guess in terms of coaches um Lots of different coaches around different levels. Um, you know, a lot of people in, uh, aspiring to be sort of goalkeeper coaches, and um, a lot more people are doing the level ones and level twos. You, you've been lucky enough, obviously, to, to play as well as to coach. But um, I guess my question here is, um, you know, do you think um, a coach? that um, maybe is starting out and doing his coaching badges and wants to get to the very top. Um, do you think that's possible if he hasn't played the game at the top level, Andy? Or what's your personal kind of view on that? Uh, yeah, I do think it's possible. Um, there's a guy that's, that springs to mind, Andrew Sparks. He's a goalkeeper coach. Uh, he's just gone into Southampton. I don't, I don't think Andrew played at any particular, you know, a really high level. But um, obviously... To go into um, to Southampton, he must be very good. I think I've actually watched quite a few of his, his videos. He looks good. The information he looks that he puts across sounds good. So I don't think, um, don't get me wrong, I think it will be rare. Um, but it, it's, I think, just by being a goalkeeper does not mean that you're going to be a good goalkeeper coach because being a goalkeeper and teaching goalkeeping are very, very different. If I'm honest, I think if you had two that were perfectly like for like, obviously this is never really going to happen, but if you had one person that was, you know, an A-licensed coach that was very good and hadn't played, and then a guy that was an A-licensed coach or, a, you know, qualified to a certain level and, and had played, I think the guy that had played would probably be slightly ahead because he's obviously... He's played at high level, so he actually knows where it's like game scenario. He can probably demo things a little bit better. But um, I don't think there's there's any set 
you know rules that you can and you can't and I think there's listen I know plenty of coaches out there that are excellent um, that haven't played at high level and I know plenty of coaches that in my opinion aren't particularly good that have played at high level so I think coaching and playing are, uh, are very very different but ultimately you're there to coach so you you know you've got to be you've got to be a good coach you've got to put the information across well um in a way again that the person that's taking part in the session can understand yeah yeah great great well that that that, that part was great because we've kind of summarized your experience we've talked a little bit about coaching and your philosophy so obviously from my point of view um now i want to try and get into a little bit more into sort of talent id side and 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 give the listeners something to take uh, take from that um so if we kind of touch on with academies andy um i mean i know you've had uh, various involvements with academies over the year um i know myself my son's been involved uh, at, a, at a young age um but the question the question that many people ask is you know do you think kids go into academies too young um, I know there's so many um, opportunities these days. You know, at one time you used to be very lucky to be to be given the opportunity. Now you've got maybe two, three, four different grades. You know, from elite down to development centres. Um, but you know, do you think do you think kids are now going at academies too young? What's, what's your view on that? Um, I think I think it really depends on the individual. Um, I know that um, if I have a parent come to me saying he's been offered the opportunity to go to this academy or that academy professionally wise first and foremost I know that the coaching that he's going to get is not going to be as good as what he gets a premier player and I know that because obviously I know coaches that work in academies and obviously it's my own business and one of the things I've tried to really really go down the route of is getting the right coaches because I think you are only as good as your coach um, but, I w- but I know that the parent will still go and take the opportunity and and that's what I said to them. I said, go and experience it. You know, it's a it's a it's a big feather in your cap that you've even been asked. Um, go in and see how he enjoys it. And some kids will go into that environment and they'll absolutely love it. Other kids will go in and, and not love it so much. And I think what parents probably are sometimes a little bit scared to do is first and foremost remember these are kids. I've got to say that the kids and I think sometimes they'll go in and they'll love it. And if they love it, you can see on the face, you can see and keep them there. Um, other times they'll go in and the parents will probably see that they're a little bit uncomfortable with it and not enjoying it so much, but we'll keep them in there. And, and like I said, from a parent's point of view, I would say, look, you know, it's a, it is about the happiness of your child. And if, you, if the environment's good and they're enjoying it, then whatever age it is, then keep them in there. It's extra coaching sessions. You should be improving them. And if you can see them improving, keep them in there. Um, I would probably say, you know, the, the biggest thing to deal with is rejection. And obviously you get some kids that are getting rejected at nine, ten-year-old and feeling as though sort of the career's over. You know, nine, ten-year-old, they should be playing with toys and Lego and things like that. And look, I think it's probably more the, the parents are a bit more devastated than the kid. But... Um, yeah, I think there's no set age really. Um, but like I said, they are children, and sometimes it depends. I mean, some environments are so re- so strict and so you know cold, and you know there's no warmth there from the coaches. And and I think I don't personally don't like that type of atmosphere, but I know why they do it because if there does come a day when they have to release you, there isn't really a personal connection there. Um, like I said, my thoughts are just my thoughts. You know, I'm not saying they're right or wrong. I'm just saying that's what I think, and that's the way we try and run ours. Um, and having been a kid in one of those academies, and also coached in one of those academies, uh, I think yeah, the, the, you should try and make the place as warm and welcoming as possible. And if a bad day comes, it comes. But in the meantime, um, make the kid feel happy and at home, and he'll. He'll, you'll see the benefit uh, in the way he plays, but that can be at any age group. So, yeah, I, don't, I think some kids go into young f- just for them personally, but um, like I said, each each case is different. Yeah, yeah. So f- for sort of parents that are listening and, you know, they if they are thinking, well, if my, my child goes into a professional club academy, they're going to get better coaching. That's not necessarily the... 
the output is that would would you agree Andy I mean uh, and I guess you know whether it's a category one academy two or three will that have an impact on on the, the level of coach in there uh, do they always imp- employ the um, the coaches with the best qualifications or you know is, is it you know what's your thoughts on on that um, well speaking of, as a as a 46 year old coach with a lot a lot of experience what what I've tended to find is if you go into most academies they'll be full of young 20 to 25 year old coaches who've probably passed the UEFA for B license so that means they can coach but what I think a lot a lot of them do lack is obviously life experience dealing with parents dealing with kids because they probably don't have kids themselves um, so I think that side of things the lack but what they're prepared to do is they're prepared to work a lot of hours every week and this is just my own take on it for very little money and my opinion is I would much much rather you go and get the best coaches available and put them in that environment because scouts are doing the best to get the players and then they put them into coaches that really I think sometimes could be better and I'd, again for me it doesn't make sense you know, you spend, like I said, you're getting guys out every weekend, picking up the best players, and then you're putting them in front of coaches that... I think there's there's academies where they... Don't get me wrong, there is some fantastic coaches in these academies, but I think on the whole, generally, I think the coaching could be improved. And again, then I'm looking at my own business and what I saw within these systems, and I'll be very, very blunt, is the reason I have the coaches that I have is because I'm prepared to pay them financially enough to make sure that they work for me. And because every, I would say every one of my coaches have been offered places in academies. Some of them actually come out academies to work with me because I've headhunted them because um, I want to make sure that, you know, the, the kids that come to us get the best possible coaching. So it's not me being bitter or anything like that. I, I, I do think, certainly from a goalkeeping point of view, you know, to get a... I've had conversations, look, you know, we want a B-licensed coach that'll come in and drive an hour and a half for uh, a two-hour session for £25. And when I've gone to an academy manager and said, look, that's not going to happen, we're not going to find that person, well, that's all I've got in my budget. And, you know, the EPPP, you know, they're trying to improve performance. How can you improve performance if you're only going to pay someone £25 for a probably a three-and-a-half-hour round trip and who has the required qualification? So those are some of the frustrations that you come up against. But... Like I said, there are some fantastic coaches within these academies as well. So, um, And they all have to be qualified to UEFA B. So regardless of personality, they should be able to deliver sessions that are going to stimulate uh, and improve young players. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. So again, moving on with, with Talent ID, um, within goalkeepers, what has your involvement been, Andy? To date, have you have you done any scouting yourself? Um, do, do, do any clubs, you know, because of your experience, that ask you to go out and have a look at goalkeepers? Well, obviously, been in in, um, in professional uh, football for most of my career, there has been occasions, yeah, when I've gone and I've watched goalkeepers with a view to obviously signing them. I've gone to watch keepers in training. Um, I think what you do is sort of if you are looking to sign a senior goalkeeper we go and watch the warm-up. So you see more in the warm-up they can potentially see in the game. And you don't just watch them once, you watch them several times. Um, that would obviously be when you're looking to sign a senior goalkeeper. Um, I think with there's, with talent ID, regards to uh, kids, um, it's a difficult one because obviously, ideally, you're looking to bring kids in that will ultimately play for the first team. But you know, every pretty much everyone. The life expectancy of a first team manager can be maybe one to two years. So one manager might come in and he might want a goalkeeper that's six foot four that can zing the ball all over the place. Another manager might want someone not too fussed about the size, but as long as he's good with his distribution or his quick sweeping up at the back, um, you know that's what he wants. So to try and recruit into the academy to fit that bill. Is very difficult because obviously the goalkeeper, the manager, and the first team goalkeeper can change. Um, so um, I think, yeah, scouting regards young goalkeepers is again, it's um, 
it's a difficult one. I mean, we've just partnered up with Leeds United and we've had some really good, positive sort of meetings with them regarding, you know, what they want because I know what I might want, but what they want might be very different. And in academy football, um, they, want, they usually want goalkeepers that are excellent with the feet, you know, um, in an ideal world, they probably want someone big, good with the feet, can catch everything and is unbelievable, but that <laughs> generally doesn't happen. So what they tend to go for, and we are seeing it a little bit more now, is you're seeing probably academies that are taking goalkeepers that technically maybe aren't as good, but they are really good with the feet. So they can fit into the way the academy wants to play, because it's no good having a big lump playing in goal if he can't use his feet in an under-10 game. Um, and he keeps giving the ball away when you're trying to play out from the back. So, um, yeah, what what football clubs want um, is, yeah, everyone is different, um, but they're all trying to find the best young goalkeeper. But I think at a young age, you'll generally find the best young goalkeeper is, again, it may be someone that's been in coaching system for a long time, so he's used to things. It may be someone that's probably um, developed so he's got good coordination um, and the best young goalkeeper at under 8 might not necessarily be the best young goalkeeper at under 11 there's a lot of things can change so it's it's always moving it's always changing yeah yeah absolutely and I mean if, if you were if you're going out I know there's so many aspects and elements but if you're going out to, to watch a goalkeeper on behalf of a club maybe you know what? What are the first few things? I know you mentioned like uh, at an older age, watching the warm up. But what would be what would be what would you be looking for? Um, what's the first few things you'd be looking for in that goalkeeper? Well, if I if I was going out to look for a football club, um, the first thing, and this might sound harsh, is the salary, because that is really important. Is that because if you can't if you can't afford the guy. There's no point going to watch him. So you would need to know your salary levels that you, you're going to be able to pay. Then you would probably need to, uh, you'd ask the manager what his sort of physical, because it, it always comes to the manager. It's not where I want. It would be the manager. So I would say to the manager, what do you want, Gaffer? You know, what are you looking for? Um, and then there will be certain boxes that he would really want ticking and, and there will be boxes that he can probably, you know, get away with a little bit. So say if he said, right, I've got, I don't know, £300 a week, obviously it's different, but say if you said, I've got £300 a week to spend, go and get me a goalkeeper that dominates his box. So then I would say, right, okay, so you, you, do you mean someone that's big? Well, yeah, I want someone that's six foot four. And, and what about his distribution? Well, he's got to be able to distribute it well. Well, Gaffer, I might get a big lad, but usually they're not particularly good with their distribution. All right, okay, well, I don't mind. So then he might say, well, I don't mind the distribution a little bit, but he's got to dominate his box. You know, so managers, are, uh, there's certain boxes that they want ticking. Um, and you've got to try and, as a coach, you've got to try and tick as many of them as possible. Because like I said, ultimately, everyone wants the best goalkeeper um, that's played hundreds of games, that's really young, that you can make money on, that's six foot four, that can kick the ball everywhere. And them goalkeepers are probably out there, but they might cost you £100,000 a week. Yeah. So it's difficult. What would you, sticking with the younger age, and I know like there's a, there's a lot um, within Talent ID we do sort of potential versus performance. Um, so when you're looking at a younger goalkeeper, um, what what in terms of potential, what are you what are you looking for uh, within that younger goalkeeper in terms of like the, the the key elements of of what they're doing? What what sort of excites you about seeing something? They might not be the the best goalkeeper in terms of performance. They might not be the biggest. They might not be the strongest. Uh, they might not save as many shots as, as as somebody else because you know we're talking about mini sort of goals where, where the, the goals are fairly small in comparison. So what would you say potential-wise, Andy? What, what are you looking for? Um, well, I'm looking for someone that looks naturally good in goal, obviously. You know, he can't look awkward. Um, someone that's probably quite confident. Um, that's, you know, as in confident, not necessarily confident as in talk on screen because at a young age, say if I was looking for an under-nine goalkeeper... Um, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't expect to see someone standing there, marshalling his defence, standing, you know, organising things, because that just doesn't happen at that age group. But, but I'd probably be looking for someone that moves quite nice. Um, ideally, looks like he's got a reasonable technical base. 
you know, so if a dip and volley came in towards him, he might move him behind the ball and as though, you know, so I'm, I've got to think, am I going to have to start from scratch on the coaching with him? Um, someone that size, mm, size does matter, but I think obviously there's a, there's a long way to go. You know, if you're looking at a goalkeeper under nine, you know, realistically, he's probably going to, you're going to want him to be playing your first team when he's maybe 18 or 19. Um, so you've got to get the balance right and this is where sometimes I have things with some scouts is some scouts will just pick the biggest kid out there that literally fills the goal but that biggest kid he may be really really raw he can't play out from the back he doesn't really have much to his game apart from being big the other side of it is you've got a really small technical goalkeeper that's unbelievable but He's really, really small. He's below average size. You know, so you, those are the things that you have to take into account. I know people say, oh, you look at the mum and dad. Well, yeah, you would look at the mum and dad, of course you would. You know, if the guy's a monster, the chances are, is if his dad's a monster, the chances are he may be a monster. But there's no set hard and fast rule. You know, there was talk, I think, I'd, when I did my bill, I said, oh, Manchester United are supposed to have a an X-ray system that can predict your, your height. But that predicting, I think, it was only to within like two inches. And two inches in goalkeeping can be a lot. So it's, um, yeah, it is a difficult one. Um, and that's where probably I think, when I have been involved in academies and we're looking for goalkeepers, we've had meetings with the scouts and said, look, this is what I'm looking for. You know, because if I said, go and find me the best young goalkeeper at under nine, most of them would pick a big lump that stands and fills the goal. Um, so you've got to almost try and educate the, the scouts as well as to what you're looking for. And it's getting the balance right between getting a big lump um, or someone really good that's technical but looks like you might never grow. Like I said, it's it, it is uh, it's a it's a it's a very difficult area. Yeah, it is. It's it's very interesting. And I mean, um, scouts, you know, looking looking at scouts, um, uh, how do you think they can? What, what's your best advice in terms of how they can improve their knowledge on you know knowledge of the position? Would it be just watching games? Would it be maybe he's going and doing your goalkeeper level one? Would it be trying to do some CPD events? Um, I, I know in an ideal world, a, a mixture of them all, but you know a lot of scouts are still kind of volunteers or part-time. What, what do you think? What, what's your bit of advice, Andy, that, that you can give somebody to say, well, you know, maybe if you look at this area, it might just, it might just make you think in a different way? Again, like you said, I think a bit of everything. You know, I've done, I've done, um, been down to St John's, George's, and done talent ID workshops and things like that. And I think you're always learning. I think as as much watching as much football as you can, speaking to as many people with probably experience as you can, and picking the bones out of it to try and give you the best chance of spotting um, a potential player. Um, and that only comes with probably, like I said working with people that have got a lot of experience and, and even then it's not a science you know ask but someone i know said at uh, middlesbrough about adama triore and i watched adama triore when he played in the premiership for middlesbrough and i thought at that time i thought he was clueless i thought he was all over the place didn't know what to do they're now talking him going for a hundred million and that was only two or three years ago so it's it's not a it's not an exact science you won't get everyone right bailey, bailey peacock at the moment who's um Billy Peacock, who's, uh, who's, who's signed for Burnley for 3.5. I think he got released by Middlesbrough when he was 15 for being too small. You know, or physica physically, he was, wasn't where they needed him to be. Within probably a year, he's, he's had a massive growth spurt. He's maybe put four inches on and he's, he's took off. You know, so there's no, that's not a mistake from Middlesbrough. It's just there is no hard and fast and who knows what can happen physically, especially when you're dealing with young goalkeepers, so much can change, you know, off the pitch, on the pitch, physically. Um, so it's it's very difficult, but I'd say try and yeah, try and learn and do as much learning as you can. Like I said, I know it's difficult because, um, like I said, most scouts obviously have day jobs um, and they go out for the love of the game and they want to improve and they want to find that next, you know, big player. Um, but yeah, I think there's there's a lot of information out there, but trying to tap into the right people. To uh, to get the most experience and to learn from as much as possible. Yeah, because I mean the co the coaching element um, obviously is key. Um, I mean, have you have you have you had a keeper that you've worked with, Andy, where you know they were absolutely fantastic in training, 
Um, you know, you, you can talk about anybody from sort of younger ages through to to sort of uh, seniors. But I've had a keeper that's that's been brilliant in training, but just couldn't convert that into games or with the right coaching and the right attitude from the keeper will it always come out in games it's just sometimes a matter of time yeah I've definitely had that scenario yeah I've had a scenario where um, and I won't say where it was um, and I won't say who the guy was but I had a goalkeeper that um, had played at a very high level oh, sorry he'd been a substitute at a very high level um, for several years and then came to where I was at and was asked to play and my personal opinion on it was that he didn't particularly want to play um, pulled out several times before games pulled out twice in the warm-up which was unheard of for me uh, and I think you're always learning as a coach you're learning about people and um, and I had another goalkeeper that was just desperate to play and no matter what, he just wasn't happy not playing and would knock on my door. And in the end, you'd have to say, "Look, stop asking me." You know, it's, I'll, you know, I'll try and get your loan. I can only get your loan spell when someone comes in for you. You know, so you get some people that are, I wouldn't say, training. Well, yeah, I would say training keepers really, um, and it's certainly the big clubs now. I mean, like you know, you're getting guys that they're having almost the best move of the career when they're 34, 35. You know, Scott Carson. Scott Carson's been an unbelievable goalkeeper. But he's just got to move to Man City. Richard Wright being on the bench at Man City for five, six, seven, eight years. Um, there's several others that are like that that are getting moves late on. Um, the guy that's at West Ham, um, Alan, Martin, um, Thingy Allen's son, um, was at MK Dons for lots of years. Made his debut in the Premier League when he was 33. Now these aren't training keepers, but those guys have. What, what big clubs want, they want to know that if they get an injury to the number one or even the number two, they know that they've got someone that can go out and play in front of 30,000 people and not um, have a panic and, and not sort of cost the team goals. Uh, so goalkeepers are now having a resurgence late on and they're not training keepers, uh, but it's you're almost buying that experience. And um, But I, yeah, there's, I've definitely had guys that um, you just knew didn't particular, and I know the coaches as well. Obviously, I speak to some goalkeeper coaches, and I know there's some coaches that have had the same. They're just some, some guys get probably get a little bit uncomfortable picking up the wages um, and and training, but actually not really liking the environment of playing in the first team. And um, I suppose as long as you know that that's what you're signing. The problem occurs is when you sign someone that you think is going to be your number one and then he turns out to really not want to be the number one. And um, I think you gain that game with a bit of experience as to the signs to look for. And um, and yeah, but for me, it's about what you're doing. It's not about what you do during training. It's about what you're doing on a match day and going out and performing. Yeah. So, I mean, the young, younger younger age goalkeepers, I know I keep bringing this back to, sort of, to try and help uh, sort of my network of scouts, if you like. Um, you know, you often you often hear bravery mentioned a lot. Um, is it fair, if we're talking maybe at the foundation phase, is it fair to talk about bravery, Andy? I mean, you know, you hear a lot, oh, little Jimmy's an excellent keeper, he's brave as anything. Um, you know, um, my... From my sort of my knowledge and my learning, I'm kind of seeing some keepers that are constantly um, in a position where they've got to make themselves brave, um, and they do it really well. Um, but I see other keepers that maybe if you drill down a little bit further and understand, and 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 maybe look at their starting position, uh, how how they they manage themselves around the goal, that don't get put in that scenario as much. Is there an element of well, yeah, you definitely have to be brave at, if it's seven, eight, nine years old. Um, or is that something that they'll always just pick up as, with time? And is it, is it a case of, well, you know, if, if you're cleverer, you're going to be avoiding certain situations? Is, what's, your, what's your kind of thoughts on, on, on that and around the bravery element at, within the foundation phase, if you like? I mean, to be fair, I mean, what I think, again, what... Well, you you actually stating that oh he's brave as anything. I mean, my take on that is what a load of rubbish. 
you know, at the end of the day, the kid might be seven or eight year old. You know, when I was seven or eight, would I want to go and get booted in the face? Which is a requirement of goalkeepers occasionally. And that's all right when you're older. When you're seven or eight, no, not for me. I, I, I think bravery is something, yes, it's something that I can't coach. And if I've got an 18 or 19 year old that's turning away when a player's hitting the ball, that's a severe problem. But it's not a problem when someone's you know, in the foundation phase. For me, like I said, you'll always get kids that are nuts, as they say, that'll come out and do kung fu kicks and the old adage of, oh, the goalkeeper's crazy. But, yeah, no, I, I think... And the, I, I don't... Yeah, I don't expect anyone to go down and... If he if he does go down and take a 1v1 fantastically, well, me for me, that's an added bonus. You know, that, I think, is something that will come in time. Um, the technique can be there, but again, you know... He's a little boy. He's a child. He's not. He's not a goalkeeper in 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 real terms. Really, he's a little boy, and he's going in where he might get hurt, and no one likes to get hurt. And it's not a problem if he turns away a little bit when he's when he's a little. That's absolutely fine for me. I also think there's other types of bravery. You know, there's being brave as in being available for back passes, being brave coming out and dealing with crosses, and being brave and getting behind a shot that's been absolutely smashed and he's gone for it and he's sticking his hands out to, you know, potentially almost take his arms off. So there's different types of bravery, but if you're talking about bravery in 1v1s going down at people's feet, um, no, nah, that's not a requirement for me. That's just something that I think will come in time. Um, you know, generally I've found that probably comes more 10, 11, 12. Certainly when they're 13 or 14, they get a bit of, you know testosterone in them and they're starting to turn into little young men then they can get a little bit wild and you see that with outfielders that's why the technique is really important to get your head down because when they get to that age when they start to understand oh I can hurt someone sometimes they do so I think if you've got a good technique behind you it'll avoid you getting um, hurt and certainly I try and coach that when I do 1v1 situations you know tucking your head in behind the ball going down leading with your hands don't get you know don't leave your head up there to be to be taken off as it were but um, not bravery is not a, a massive issue for me yeah okay so so finally I guess um, just again promoting the the, the scouting uh, world if you like uh, again a lot, lot of people are out watching um, local leagues watching the younger ages any final sort of bits of advice Andy um, when when you know us as scouts are out there looking you talk a lot about technique you know what what is technique is it you know the, is it the how they handle the ball is it, is it how the the move of the feet anything really that you can we could just take away from the day yeah i think um i think technique is like i said you you'll probably look at someone and you think oh he looks not bad he moves quite well you know that's what i tend to do anyway if i'm watching a goalkeeper i can watch a game and and he doesn't have to have any much to do but the way maybe his back pedals the way looks behind him for his post you know you can see I can generally see if someone's had coaching sessions because it does make such a big difference certainly at the young age so you can see that and I think you'll not you'll get a decent sort of idea um, like I said a ball might come along the floor and he might just step across get in the line and go down and scoop it up nice and for me as a coach like a little light bulb comes on and I think oh I like that that's good and that little thing that you say you can think Ah, he's not bad. That he's not bad. Him, and obviously, as a as a scout watching, I think a bit of advice would be to don't write kids off. You know, someone can go and they can have a terrible game, and I've heard scouts say, "Ah, he's miles off, man. He's terrible." He's watched him once on a Sunday morning, and what I would say is, you know, watch him over a prolonged period of time, watch him several times. Um, before you make any judgment and what you've got to remember is these are kids these are children so one day he'll come and he'll look an absolute world beater and he'll make unbelievable save after save after save and then you'll watch him again you'll think he's never seen a football before and that's just part of them being little and young and the you know that's why people like goalkeepers when they're 34 35 because that's when they hit consistency so you're not going to get consistency of an eight nine year old ten year old boy you know, and people have to understand that. But because they see it, you know, parents, they see it in the Premier League and, you know, they see a goalkeeper on the edge of his box sweeping up, looking to, you know, read the through ball like Hugo Lloris. And because the, you know, under 10, under 11 goalkeeper doesn't do that, he's got 15 parents, 20 parents on, on the side shouting him through the game and they forget they're just kids, you know, and um, and they'll have their ups and downs and, and as a scout watching them, 
the way you get a, a rounded idea of what they're like would be to probably have a look at what they're like physically, see what they're like technically, whether they move, whether they can deal with the odd shot that comes in. And then if you like the look of them, go and watch them several times and over maybe six games. And I know that might be a lot, but ultimately you're investing in a goalkeeper and you want him to invest time in you two, three nights a week, Saturdays, Sundays, you know, so make a good judgment on them or the best judgment possible. Um, and then if he's for you, um, obviously you can report to whoever you need to report to. Um, I mean, I think systems nowadays, I think every club is different, but I know with some of the pro clubs that I work with and have worked with and obviously have currently sort of worked with Leeds, there will be several reports. The name will go into a computer. You know, he's been identified, he's been identified, he's been identified four times now by our scouts. He's a good goalkeeper, right? We need to send this scout, you know, someone maybe further up the pecking order to go and watch him. Then they might get him in. So the system's in place... Um, and that's what I would say about any scout. If you see someone that you like, don't just shot him in straight away. Oh, he's fantastic, this guy. Because you might watch him the next week and he might be absolutely terrible. So watch him over several games and then you'll have a, a more informed sort of opinion as to, as to where he might fit ability-wise. Great stuff, Andy. I think that's been brilliant. Um, I hope it's been useful for, for parents, um, spotters, uh, scouts of different levels um, and yeah I think we really appreciate you you coming on Andy really do you're very welcome Dave like I said I think um, the big thing about obviously goalkeeping is, and, and as parents and as scouts uh, and uh, and obviously go, you've got to be enthusiastic about it and I think if you're a goalkeeper you have that buzz and um, and if ever you lose that buzz then maybe you're in the wrong job because it's not a job it's, a, it's you know you're working with young kids um, like when we do the keeper combat, you know, you're seeing goalkeepers of all abilities flying around, making saves, and you go home, and it absolutely gives you a buzz. And uh, yeah, to come on something like this that is trying to sort of uh, enlighten parents and people of of, of all levels, um, you know, I'm really pleased that you asked us and uh, delighted to come on board. Right, cheers, Andy. So that's uh, episode three of the Football Scouting Journey podcast. Uh, Keep your ears peeled uh, for further episodes. Thank you.